Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. My name is Bill Bull. Uh, I'm the associate pastor here at First Naz. Uh, pastor, but uh, Pastor Aaron had the privilege of sharing with you last week, and and it's my privilege today to share with you. One of the things that quite often happens when uh, Pastor Cliff asks me to uh, share, uh, I find myself beginning to pray and think about what God might desire that I um, share with you. I had some instructions from Pastor Cliff this time, because you know we've been in a series, a strong marriage, a strong family, and this is the first Sunday for a strong church. So he gave me some instructions on what I might say and what I might share with you. And, and uh, with that, that triggered a bunch of thoughts. It uh, caused me to go back and, and uh, think back in time a good many years. Uh, it may seem a little bit crazy to some of you, but there was a point in my life at one time when I saw no need for the church whatsoever. Uh, <clears throat> I told... Uh, I think I shared this with Bonnie that uh, I was going to share something today that I wasn't, didn't recall that I've ever done this before, but I got upset with a pastor one time when I was a teenager. And uh, I was really upset with him. Uh, I left the church on, a, on that Sunday morning uh, swearing that I would never come back. I would never darken the doors of a church again. That was it for me. I'd had it. I was out of there. And like I said, that's been many years ago. I look back now, and uh, I can't see myself ever without the church in my life. Uh, I love the church. I love our church. I love First Naz. And for visitors that are with us, uh, I'm sure that you love your church as well. But I must tell you that I'm really bothered when I say, I hear someone say that uh, they don't think church is really all that important. They can take it or leave it. And I think, wow. But uh, let me back up just a little bit at this point. I grew up in a small rural community, and I know I have shared a little bit about that community when, we have, uh, when I have been uh, able to share the message with you before, or if you've been in my Sunday school class or at different times You've heard me talk about that community. There were typically about 100 people there uh, on a good day. And uh, they were counted as residents. Uh, this little town had a grocery store. It had uh, a little tiny cafe, had a bar. For a while, I had two gas stations, service stations, they called them. Finally went to one and uh, had, had a small farm supply store. And then there was a one church, a small church, a Nazarene church. My mother had moved to that area from Southern California when uh, she married my dad. Uh, she, had, she wasn't a Christian. And uh, yet she married into a family where she quickly found that her mother-in-law was, and her mother-in-law attended that church. The, uh, my, uh, my mother's 
uh, mother-in-law, so my, my grandmother invited her to church, and she began going, and on one, uh, one particular time she was in church, and the pastor invited people to come forward and pray at the altars, similar to what we have here. And my mother went down at the close of the service. She asked Jesus to forgive her of her sins and come into her heart, and he did that. <clears throat> she never looked back. She served the Lord faithfully over all the years that were ahead until her death a number of years ago. She was just a week short of being 99, and she had served the Lord faithfully all those years. You can probably guess that the three kids that grew up in her home after she found Jesus became familiar with that little church in town. And in fact, I remember that we went through its door several times a week. We were there every Sunday morning. Uh, we were there Sunday night because there was a regular church service every Sunday night. We were typically there as we got a little older. We were there on Wednesday nights for what was called prayer meeting. My dad didn't get involved. Uh, he didn't attend church. He normally would go if he had to go to a wedding or felt that he needed to be there for a funeral. But other than that, he didn't attend. And uh, that just wasn't his, his thing. He wasn't going to go. But my mother made sure that uh, my sister, my younger brother, and I were there nearly every time the doors of that church opened. Uh, that little Nazarene church became a fundamental part of my life as I grew up. I invited Jesus into my heart when I was a young boy and uh, quickly found that things were really tough for a young boy. And um, I failed often. I failed miserably. And uh, yet I did my best to live as I thought God would want me to. And uh, one of the things that was really of help over the years were pastors Sunday school teachers, vacation Bible school workers, people that work with the youth, they all had an influence on me. But during my last year of high school, I began to wonder if I was really in need of this whole religion thing and church. I was hanging around with some kids who, who didn't need church, didn't go to church. It wasn't a part of their life. They didn't attend. And they seemed to be just having one great time. They seemed to be enjoying life. And... I got to tell you, I was feeling kind of torn and twisted inside because I wanted to be sure that, if, that everything was right between me and God if I suddenly left this life unplanned. I didn't want to go to hell. I wanted to go to heaven when life ended, whenever that might be. I hoped it was a long ways down the road. But these other kids seemed to be having so much fun. One Sunday morning, I was in church um, with the other kids. The pastor was preaching. And I've got to tell you, I, I did a lot of daydreaming while the pastor preached. I know no one in here has ever done that. But uh, I was daydreaming that morning. Uh, I always thought this pastor was kind of dull. Now, I know there aren't any dull pastors, but I, that was my perception at this time. And uh, so uh, I was looking at my watch often to see what time it was. I just wanted it to be over with and be able to get out of church and go my merry way. At one point on this particular Sunday, uh, I was whispering back and forth with the kid next to me and, and the second one over. And uh, I suppose we may have gotten kind of loud. Uh, 
That's how we communicated then. <laughs> we didn't have cell phones. We couldn't text. There wasn't any church app, Peter. And uh, <clears throat> we had to do it that way. You just talked or whispered. And all of a sudden, I realized it had become quiet. The preacher had quit speaking, and I looked up toward him. And now, I'm not pointing anybody out, but we were seated over in that part of the church that day. And I realized he was just looking at us. Uh, maybe I should say glaring at us. That's the way it looked to me. And uh, as I looked at him, uh, all of a sudden... Uh, he gave us a scolding like you wouldn't believe for talking while he was preaching. And uh, I was so humiliated. I was so embarrassed. I mean, to get called on the carpet in the middle of a church service in that little congregation, in that little church, uh, that wasn't my idea of having a good day in church. Not at all. I can't recall for sure, but I'm guessing I probably just hunkered down and tried to sag as low as I could in the seat that morning. And uh, I was just, I probably kept quiet the rest of the service too. But um, the pastor ended the message. He prayed and dismissed people. And then he went to the back door and greeted people, which he normally did every Sunday morning. And as I walked out, uh, I wasn't very nice. And uh, I told him, uh, I guess in no uncertain terms, uh, that what I thought about his words to us and calling us out, that that had been uncalled for, and I wasn't going to come back to his church ever, and I didn't know if I would ever go into church again. And I stormed off. Now let me say right here, I shouldn't have done that, huh? <laughs> Uh, I shouldn't have done that. And, it, you know, it seems kind of crazy to me now uh, to think that I was ever at a place in life where I felt that way about the church. Uh, for many years, many, many years now, uh, I've been able to say that I love my church. <laughs> I love my church, and I believe with all my heart that church is so vitally important in the life of of every Christian or believer, follower of God, and for a lot of reasons. Uh, one of the reasons that I believe that church is important is because from everything I read in the Bible, it's important to God. And anything that is important to God probably should be important to me, to us. No, no I, I guess I wouldn't say probably. It, it better be important to us. And in fact, I, I read some, I ran into some questions about the church that I want to share with you. I think this would be a good place to ask you those questions. If you're ever struggling with how you feel about the church, or if you run into someone that questions you about any need for going to church or why a person should do something like that, I think these questions beg an answer. The first question uh, has to do with Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, where it says that Jesus built the church. So let me ask, would the Son of God actually spend time building something that was worthless, of little value, or of no use? I don't think so. Jesus was talking to Peter in this verse, and it says, 
Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. The second question comes from Acts 20, verse 28, and it tells us that Jesus shed his own blood for the church. And so let me ask this, do you really think the Son of God would have been willing to undergo all the suffering he went through for a meaningless organization which has no value at all? I don't think so. That verse in Acts 20, 28 says, So guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock. His church purchased with his own blood over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as elders. Well, the third question comes from two different verses from out of Ephesians 1.22 and Colossians 1.18. And those verses make it clear that Jesus is the head of the church. So let me ask, would Jesus really be the head of something that was insignificant, irrelevant, trivial, worthless, out of date, and so on? I don't think so. I don't think so. Ephesians 1.22 says, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. Colossians, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. Hmm. And the fourth question um, comes from Ephesians 3.10. And uh, I guess it has to do with our relationship with God. Um, because if church isn't necessary for a close, vital, vibrant relationship with God, why does that verse say that the wisdom of God should be no made known to the church? It, because it states, God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety. Hey, I know that the church isn't perfect. I know it's not perfect. The church is filled with people who are once sinners and have been saved by God's grace. It has people in it who are sinners who have not yet experienced that grace of God, that wonderful grace of his. Jesus died for us, for the church, and he loves us all, even though he knows we are quite often crazy, imperfect people. He still loves us. He still died for us. When the church is strong, when the church is working right, I don't know that there's anything more powerful and breathtaking in the world. It's the place where lost people are found, where found people grow to love Jesus more, where addicts are set free, where the excluded are included, where hopeless people find hope, where marriages are restored, where heartbroken people are comforted, where grieving people find comfort and peace, and where forgiveness is extended and where God gets the glory for it all. I love my church. I love my church. Yes, I, I love my church. Well, as we begin this, this month of March, during which we're going to be talking about the church, and Pastor Cliff will be sharing about that over the next several Sundays, I think it's good to note that that a strong, effective church has a singular focus, and that includes our church. It includes First Naz. That focus must be 
be the commission that has been given to the church. Given to the church by Jesus just before he ascended into heaven. And what was that commission? What was that charge? We are to make more disciples for him. In Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus is speaking to his followers. And he tells them, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples. There's that word. Of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the, and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I am with you always. Jesus had just given the church their mission to make more disciples for him. And that can bring up the question then, what is a disciple? And you've heard this before, if you're part of our church here, Disciples of Jesus are people who connect with God and others, who grow in their faith, and who serve as a way of life. You're always going to find those three characteristics in the life of a true disciple of Jesus Christ. They're absolutely vital and necessary for true disciples. Pastor Cliff has shared about those three characteristics often. Disciples connect with God and in a variety of ways. And we're doing that right here this morning. We do it as we read His Word, as we read the Bible together. We do it when we pray together, when we give our tithes and our offerings to Him, when we sing praises and worship Him. Um, all of these are part of worship. And when we do these things, we're connecting with God. Disciples connect with God. Sure they do. We connect with God many times when we're alone. We connect with Him when we read the Bible and when we pray, when we talk to Him. Disciples also connect with other Christians. And again, we're doing that here, right here, this morning, right now. To be a disciple is to be a part of His church. Nowhere in the Bible do you find that disciples are being encouraged to go it alone, to go it solo, to do their own thing. We're to be an active part of his church, taking part in activities that will help us grow and mature as followers of Jesus. Disciples, true disciples of Jesus Christ, are also going to connect with not just Christians, but like Pastor Cliff says, pre-Christians. We're to connect with people who haven't yet heard the message that Jesus wants them to hear that wants them to share. If you spend any time reading the first four books of the New Testament, the four Gospels, uh, you soon learn that Jesus actively sought out and engaged people who really lived a great distance from God. Um, Jesus demonstrated real and genuine concern for the immediate needs of people, and especially... Uh, their spiritual well-being. That was always right at the top of his list. Thieving tax collectors, immoral women, social outcasts, the objects of racism. These were all people who Jesus included on his list of those to seek out and connect with and to love. Modern-day disciples of Jesus must do the same. And we've really got to be careful at times, I'm convinced, 
not to become isolationist or exclusive in that. Disciples of Jesus are people who grow in their faith. Uh, I don't think the pause button was ever to be a part of spiritual growth, where we grow so far and then hit the pause button and just stop for a time. Uh, Disciples of Jesus are going to be people who are always developing in their relationships with God, and uh, they're going to be careful about spending time with him, to learn from him, to grow closer to him. Growing disciples continue to learn how better to trust God and worry less. They become more mature in handling offenses from people outside the church as well as from people inside the church. They become more involved in the responsibilities of the church. And they are people who extend grace to all the imperfect people around them. Disciples of Jesus intentionally work to improve how they live their life so that they can be good examples for Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Finally, true disciples serve. And the simplest definition of service is, I think it's really simple, it's just helping others. Jesus was a perfect example to us in this regard. He was always helping people. Disciples help others. They look for ways to benefit others, and sometimes it might be at their own expense. I guess at this point I would say, so there you have it. Our focus as a church must always be to make more disciples for Jesus. And disciples are people who have asked Jesus to forgive them of their sins and to come into their hearts. Disciples are people who connect and grow and then serve. And I fear that too many in our churches today have failed pretty badly in, in the areas of connect, grow, and serve. But I can tell you that life is short. We don't have a lot of time. The world has been impacted by Christians who will accept this and who literally spend their lives uh, serving God the way that he would desire. I'm afraid that maybe the church has been crippled by the myth that Jesus always wants us to play play it safe. I don't think he played it safe from what I read. None of the apostles played it safe. The church we read about that was formed in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, didn't play it safe. They prayed for boldness, for courage. And they went out and served the Lord in dramatic, life-transforming ways. Jesus is honored when people pray and plan and work rather than sit back, take it easy, and just wait to see if God is going to work a miracle. It's impossible to be connected to Christ and not care about the people he cared about. Jesus will honor our faith when we go all out and do whatever it takes to bring people to a place where they can meet him, whether it's right here at the altar, in the pew, in your home, in a restaurant, wherever you might be. But when we can bring people to a place where they meet Jesus and where they can then begin to connect, grow, and serve. So many people in this world feel all alone. They would come to church if we made the effort not just to invite them, but to bring them sometimes. Just like Andrew 
did for Peter and like Philip did for Nathaniel in the New Testament. I wonder if God's wanting you to invite someone to church or even to bring to church. Maybe this month, maybe next week. Sadly, I, I spent a good many years away from the church and a good many years away from the Lord. And Bonnie and I were talking about this yesterday as, as we were out for a drive. And uh, we're talking about it this morning, in fact, on the way to church. Uh, after Bonnie and I were married, I was occasionally involved in churches where uh, we happened to be living but never for very long. Um, she was really the one that went to church every Sunday and took our kids. And quite often I, I wasn't present. And I'm so thankful for her and that she did that. Uh, it wasn't until we moved our little family to Lewiston many years ago that several Christians who were part of this church right here began to connect with me. It had an influence on me. And I finally came to the place where one man in particular was really working on me, trying to get me to attend a Bible study. Um, he finally made it. I still have a picture in my mind the first night uh, we went. And, and uh, I wasn't that hot on going, but he assured me he would come by and get me. And at the appointed time he was there, he had an old beat-up station wagon and pulled up in front of our house and picked Bonnie and I up, and we went with him. But it, he kept talking to me. He kept connecting with me. And uh, the time finally came when I knew that I needed Jesus in my heart and life. I wanted him there. I'd been messing things up terribly for far too long, but I'm telling you, Jesus is faithful to his word. And when I asked him to forgive me of my sins and come into my heart, he did. He didn't wait. He didn't schedule it and put it on next month's agenda at his heavenly board meeting. <laughs> uh, it was done then. It was done on the spot. And uh, life has never been the same since. It's never been the same since. And I have learned to love my church. I really have. Remember the pastor I chewed out as a boy? Uh, several years after I had, uh, I had responded, to the, I'd been a Christian for a good number of years and answered the call by God to go into full-time ministry, and Bonnie and I were pastoring the church over in Clay Elm at the time. We'd been there several years, and um, we were asked to speak at that church that I grew up in. And uh, they were having some type of anniversary celebration, and I can't remember what year, uh, what year it was that had come along that they were celebrating. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking back at Chris Kessler because I think her dad was the pastor there then. <laughs> Do you remember what anniversary that may have been? Now she's, Bonnie thinks it may have been the 75th. Anyway. Uh, they, he had asked, uh, Chris's uh, dad had asked me to speak that day. When we got there, uh, guess who else was there? <laughs> yeah. 
that pastor from all those years ago. And I thought, oh, man. And I had to speak before him so I didn't get to know ahead of time what he might say knowing I was there. Uh, But God began to work on me. And later I ended up visiting with that pastor and I knew what I had to do. Uh, I had to ask his forgiveness for the way I had treated him that day and the things I had said to him. He couldn't even remember it. I mean, I went through all the misery that morning there in Princeton and, and speaking with him. He was seated right in the front row with his wife in front of me as I spoke. And it wasn't till during the potluck later that, that I asked his forgiveness. He didn't remember the incident at all. But he said he would forgive me anyway. <laughs> and we had a beautiful conversation, discussion, visit after that. But that's what happens in a church that's full of disciples. (laughs) That's what happens in a church that has as its focus making more real disciples for Jesus. So let me ask this morning as we get near the end of this, how are you doing in the areas of connect, grow, and serve? Is there a chance that God may want you to work on an area that he'd like to see you improve in? If you ask him to show you, he'll do that. He will. Would you stand with me? Now, I know we're getting out early. Don't go tell him Pastor Cliff next week. <laughs> Aaron said you got out early last week a little bit, too. I, uh, maybe we're both on the, on the block tomorrow. I'm not sure. We, but... Um, In closing, let me say that it's impossible to be connected to Christ and not care about the people that he cares about. It can't happen. Jesus will honor your faith when you go all out to do whatever it takes to help bring people to him. And uh, bringing people to him so that they can connect, so that they can grow, so that they can begin to serve. I asked a while ago, is there someone that God may want you to invite to church next week or even drive by, pick up, and bring? Uh, Would God ask that of you? And you're thinking, not of me. I'm not that kind of a person. Well, God has surprises in for a lot of us, I think. Who will you ask to come with you next week? Uh, I love my church. I know a lot of you, most of you here this morning, love your church. There's a lot of people all around us that need to experience that same love and God's love at work in their lives. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. Uh, Lord, I realize that every single one of us here this morning is at a different place in our spiritual journey and in our walk across the face of this earth with you. You know where we're at as far as the length of time we have known you as our Savior. Now, there may be some here this morning who have never invited you into their heart and life. They've never 
said, Lord, please forgive me, come in. And I pray that if there's even a single person this morning that is at that place and wants to be a follower of Jesus Christ, I pray that they would just simply pray and ask your forgiveness for their sins and invite you to come into their hearts. And I know you'll do that. You did that for my mother. You did that for me. You've done that for multitudes of people over the centuries. Father, there may be someone that you want us to invite to church next Sunday. Oh, we've thought about them before and we've visited with them and we could just never get the courage up. Father, would you give us a unique and powerful boldness this week and godly courage in simply following your will to begin this whole matter of making Christ-like disciples for you. I pray that you, if you want us to speak with someone this week, that we'll have the courage to do that. You'll show us what to say. You will have already prepared that person for our comments, our questions, our invitation. Lord, maybe we need to do some work in the area of growth in our relationship with you. Maybe we need to be moving ahead in the area of serving. But I pray that none of us would be at that place where we've hit the pause button. And if we are, Lord, if that has happened, I pray today we will leave here determined that we're going to move forward in our walk with you, in our relationship with our Heavenly Father, and in serving you and the church you love. Father, thank you for each one who's here. And as we go out through these doors, I pray that we will go with a renewed assurance that the church is so vitally important to us. Would you give us a renewed, fresh love for our church in the coming weeks and days? Father, we love you. And as we go this morning, I would ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.